Hello and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators, home to NARC Troopers. Today we've got some great dance music originally produced by DJK Music. I will post a link to his SoundCloud site. The name of this song is Dying Rose. It's a original made for us and I hope you enjoy that. We're going to dance with the devil and I'm going to tell you how I survived to tell you about it and how I surrendered my soul to a narcissist. So let's jump in. If you've ever loved one, a narcissist, you're going to recognize yourself in this story. Before I met him, I was chronically lonely. I had no boundaries, but plenty of attachment issues um, that I had carried forward from my childhood. You know, that was, uh, um, <laughs> you know, not a, not a great place to learn anything I needed to know. Um, I was a child that came from complex generational trauma and archaic wounding. So I searched outside of myself for validation instead of doing it the right way and doing it for myself from the inside. And um, I believed that um, your value and your worth as a person come primarily from overachieving and making sacrifices for others, productivity, and, you know, there were blurred lines in regard to all that. Um, you know, I never felt like I was enough ever. So I perpetually always tried harder, reached harder. And, um, you know, yeah, that helped me achieve a lot of, uh, of things, you know, in life because I was pushing, pushing to make that achievement so that I would have, have some kind of, um, worth as a person. So, um, you know, before I met him, I was also trying to achieve moral substance and I attempted to cultivate integrity and virtue. You know, I was empathetic to others and to their pain and I wanted to help them. I carried guilt like a cross, kind of like a martyr uh, syndrome, I guess, for never being enough um, for my parents for my partners, for myself, I was never enough. For my children, never enough. I worked hard and I made reasonable and responsible choices in my daily life. I accepted blame for my failures and I tried to do better. I wanted to be a better parent than what I had experienced, but I had no roadmap on how to actually do it. So instead, there was enmeshment masquerading as commitment and devotion and looking back on it uh, I wish I had known then what I know now it would have transformed my parenting into places that would have been much better for my kids but they're grown now so you know it is what it is I had made a noble effort to be a good person and a better parent and all of that but I fell short in so many ways on so many accounts you know, I carried an inner sadness, and this sort of permeated everything. I didn't have to say it or name it. I was, I was sad. I was lonely, and that was. I had always been that way since my earliest memory was of me being sad and lonely. 
and um, it kind of puts, you know, it just, it's there. It's that shadow in the corner. So the stage was set. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So that was it. The entire disordered pathological sociopathic narcissist was ready to go. Ironically, the first time I ever saw him, I was at the annual performance of the Nutcracker Ballet. Talk about some dancing, right? Um, our 16-year-long dance began at that moment, and I didn't even know it. So, Act 1. This is Act 1. Um, there was nothing normal or healthy about it. He was scandalously younger and incredibly creepy. Uh, looking back, those were both horrible in, in themselves, you know, the, should not have been acted upon. Um, you know, a healthy neurotypical person would have run for the exit and thought, mm -mm, no, not going to happen. But, <laughs> you know, not me. I was not a healthy neurotypical person, so I did not run to the exit. I stepped closer. I was drawn in by a compelling familiarity. That magnetic pull was powerful, and the energetic vibration uh, and literally shook us when we uh, were close together. It was, it was supernatural, not of this world. It was something powerful, like magic. And then even before it turned into um, something physical, you know, even before that, it really wasn't about the physical attraction. It was something else. And those of you who know, because you got involved with your narcissist because of something you can't really put your finger on, you know what it was. It was something intense and it was otherworldly in some kind of way, perhaps. Um, you know, I, I don't know what that is, but I know um, that it is really powerful. Um, you know, there was like a trembling, a shaking, an energetic frequency that bound us together. Typical humans can't do things like that, I don't think. These feats of metaphysical power. It, it was like um, levitation or electricity or demonic possession or something coupled with uh, with just pure ecstatic um, relief that I had met somebody who was you know in step in synchronicity with me so completely it was just uncanny and you know those of us who understand what narcissism is we know why it was so symbiotic and so um, identical soulmate twin flame kind of thing we know it's because they mirror us we were seeing ourselves we were falling in love with our own self that was being reflected back to us um, and that's a very big simplification please don't think that's all there is to it it's a lot more complicated than that but that's certainly part of it all right act two chitting 
married life was everything that I had ever dreamed of with this um, uncomfortable undercurrent of unease as if there were caverns beneath our feet that flowed with torrents of tempestuous waters, um, you know, the kind that, that sweep you away and, and that kind of thing, and, um, and drown you. I could almost hear them running in the background under my feet, rushing in waves beneath us. I could smell the damp, murky depths of the ocean waiting to open its mouth and swallow us whole. So I held on tighter, as if he were my life raft, and I buried my face in his essence. The energy was still palpable out of this world, vibrating at an unsustainable frequency, the kind that, you know, blows the wheels off the car and send it careening airborne over a cliff or something. You know, danger lurked nearby in the shadows and lived on the edges of our lives together, but it only compelled me to escape into his fantasy world where, you know, the dark thing just couldn't reach us there. It was, he was my refuge and that fantasy bubble protected me from everything that could be bad or so I thought at the time. Okay, act three, cutting, ting, 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 ting. I don't have the, <laughs> the little thing that goes crack, snap, pop, you know, scene three, act, act one. Um, well, anyway, while, while I was gone, while I wasn't looking, um, as I lay sleeping like, like the cursed, like Sleeping Beauty, under a spell, everything and everyone around me fell away. Thorns and sinister vines crept like snakes around our castle in the clouds. And then, when I had lost it all, everything, everything, and everyone except him, he began to close the magic shop. The smirks and the snipes were endless. Uh, death by a thousand tiny cuts. Criticism, mockery, contempt, and coldness. Everything felt frozen in a chilly sheet of ice as, a, as he shape-shifted and into someone that I could not even recognize. Someone incompatible with our shared fantasy. The holes and tears in it began to appear as I frantically raced about attempting to patch them up. Um, I felt anger and resentment for all of his betrayals and microaggressions and whatnot, yet I was loyal and a true acolyte, a true believer and follower until the last breath, the very last um, choking gasp. So this is the coda. We've had three acts, act one, act two, act three, idealization, devaluation, discard. Now the coda is the little epilogue, I guess. Why did I do it? Give, give away every single thing that mattered so that, um, you know, uh, just, you know, just to let it go. I, I did it so I could hold on to someone that was sick and broken, so much so that they were incapable of, of humanity. 
or decency or mercy. I did that. A fellow Cora writer who goes by the pseudonym Shirley said it best in her space called Relationship with a Narcissist. And uh, you should read about that. She says, we grow up with at least one parent uh, fully incapable of, of love. And um, a narcissist, this individual, that's, that's, what it, that's what it is, you know. Um, it could be a person with antisocial personality disorder or a psychopath or something, but, but they're incapable. <coughs> but a human being needs love to survive um, on a very, very fundamental, basic level. It's part of healthy development. So we grow up denying this truth that our parent doesn't love us, uh, a borderline, will internalize this as their fault. A narcissist will project this as other people's fault. And that's the difference between a borderline and a narcissist is who they blame and how that manifests. You know, a histrionic will deny it entirely. One thing every cluster B personality uh, thing has in common is addiction. And because of this, the root, every addict has one thing in common, and that's despair, a gaping black hole of despair. We seek desperately to fill it, to make ourselves feel good, and nothing works. We are addicted to all kinds of things. We're addicted to drugs, cigarettes, weed, prescription pills, alcohol, caffeine, food, or dieting, cutting, burning, bringing, binging, purging, sex, porn, all of it. You know, we're addicted to something. And for us, those of us in recovery from abuse from a narcissist, we are recovering from our addiction to the abuse, to being abused. We are addicted to all kinds of things. And that's, you know, one of them. We are addicted to love, but we can't find it. Where is it? Everything that makes us feel good eventually hurts us or nearly kills us, just like our parents. Just like our parents. And that's the bottom line. That's what it comes back to, guys. Um, in a world of cluster bees, uh, life is continually trying to climb out of the quicksand. We only differ in what type of addictions we manifest and how well we mask them. So I think we make a deal with the devil when we jump into the rabbit hole with our irresistible, undeniable, intoxicating narcissists. They transport us to another reality where everything seems brighter, tastes better, smells sweeter, and feels so much more blissful. The intensity of a relationship with a person with cluster B disorder is more intense than anything you've ever experienced, the good and the bad, and it's completely unfathomable. Everything else fades to pale obscurity as it fails to compete with the power of the psychopathic narcissist over-the-top uh, otherworldly wizardry that keeps you spellbound and bedazzled while they eat you alive. Yeah, they do. Um... If there is an actual region or space where hell manifests all of its depravity and torture, I imagine that the trip there 
is a lot like falling prey to a covert malignant narcissist. Evil is deceptive, seductive, and empowering, right? It, um, there will be carnal revelry replete with orgiastic abandon and feverish ecstasy. It lures you and hooks you and binds you and reels you in much um you know you're punch drunk and fuzzy headed about what is actually happening anesthetized by the power of the narcopath demon to sedate you into submission when you awaken from this surrealistic dreamscape this dreamscape that you've been stuck in in the shared fantasy um you know you discovered that you are in hell fire and brimstone and and screams of anguish echo from the cavernous pit to the high cliffs that tower above every inch strewn with the carcasses and wretched remains of the victims who surrendered their souls to evil this is how it happens in the bottomless depths of the narcissist eyes we see ourselves our mothers our fathers our abused child selves and all those who could not love us in their touch their hands and mouth and body give us life as we swap souls and let our spirit flow like blood into the empty narcissist that can never be filled in their words we are made whole and believe in magic and and we give in to the unholy union it's an unholy union a perverse alliance um, and, and to their charm we see the innocent and harmless little child they were before whatever happened to them happened to them before their caregivers did something to them and crushed them and ruined them and so we want to help them and heal them and restore them but we can't I believe my husband with NPD was simply destroyed by a toxic family and survived the best he could by silencing his suffering with a false self who must feed on others in this false reality and I joined him there for a while and I tried to convince myself it was heaven and real and forever but hell was still there inside of us we managed to spackle it over and paint it with breathtaking celestial panoramas but it still churned and seethed under the surface I believed his ability to create such a magical imaginary place was confirmation that he dreamed of becoming a real boy and a testament to his tender gentle soul I was wrong I think he died a long long time ago and and something dark crawled into the vacant spaces in his heart and if there is a remnant a shred of that little injured and sweet boy he is bound and captive and defeated should he ever try to break free I saw that little boy in my husband one time and it was the day he left unexpectedly out of the blue 
just announced that he wanted a divorce and he was leaving. I pleaded. I was in shock. When I could get my words out at all, I begged him to just to stop and think about what he was doing. And I told him how much I loved him, no matter what he had done, that I accepted him for who he was and that I I was, you know, that I didn't want him to go. And I remember there was a moment, because he had been very cavalier about it, just very not making eye contact, kind of arrogant, kind of sitting there smirking on his phone, texting probably his girlfriend that he was getting ready to go to. You know, they always have your replacement lined up before they leave. And, um, but there for a minute, he put that phone down and he got very serious. And then he just put his head back and he pursed his lips together and his mouth went down into the most anguished um, grimace frown kind of just the sides of his mouth just turned down and his face just sunk into this absolute suffering and despair and torture and pain that I had never seen on him before and it only lasted like a minute that he sat there with this this just horrible thing just hit him. Something that I said might have reached some little particle, some little shred of, of, of his true authentic self that has been obliterated by his narcissism. narcissism. For that minute, I, I couldn't believe it, what I was seeing. And, and I just felt so sorry for him because you know, I hurt when people that I love hurt, and it broke my heart to see that for that minute, I had reached him. I had reached inside, and I had reached that part of him, long gone, muffled, silenced, murdered. I had just tapped into it for just a minute, just one minute, just one minute, and then it was gone. And then he pulled himself back together, picked his phone back up, started texting her again, started telling me how, you know, uh, he just didn't want to be there anymore, didn't want to take care of me, didn't want to watch me grow old. He continued to just go ahead and just do a very brutal, callous, cold-hearted, inhumane, inhumane, disposal of a 15-year marriage in just moments in just moments he just tore it all away and destroyed it and but there for that minute for that minute I, I I saw it and so I know there could be remnants and shreds and tattered little pieces floating around in there but they very almost never get to see the light of day they're never allowed to take over or to speak or to have voice or feeling or agency or anything. They are silenced. They are, are for the most part, so gone. Those little shreds can't pull themselves together to become whole enough to actually be something to battle this illness, this disease that they have called narcissistic personality disorder. They just couldn't do it. So, I'm not sure what hell is. 
I don't know if it's geographical destination or a state of mind. And I believe that evil is an absence of God. And the narcissist, the antisocial, and the psychopath, maybe even the borderline, they, well, they are an absence, an absence of being. <laughs>